So good morning, everyone. The day I was born, uh, we lived in a rather poor area and there was no electricity or running water or whatever. And my mum gave birth to me at 10 past one on a Sunday morning. And then about an hour or so later, everybody went to bed, but they left her with a candle and she knocked it over and set fire to the room. Now in the province of God, if I had died, there's an awful lot of people here who wouldn't exist. Because, no, no, you need to think like that about how great God is. Now, did my mother immediately think that God had some great purpose in mind for me? No, she didn't. She wasn't a Christian. Why would she have done that? But what will come out of this passage, we're going to look at the prayer that they made, having had these terrible threats made. Now, I'm going to put my watch down here because apparently you only allow a certain time. Yeah. I can see that. So, just a bit of background to this passage, and then we'll make some application for us. I don't know how you go, but sometimes when you read about historical characters, and particularly in the Bible, you think, oh, well, that was them, but it's very different now. Well, I'm not sure it's that different, and it might become even more like this in days to come. So just to recap, Jesus has died, has been crucified, he's risen from the dead, and he's told his disciples to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit when they will receive power and be witnesses throughout the world, basically, is what he said. And they met and they were praying, right? So nothing great is going to happen without prayer. Now, I know it's been promised, but God uses means to bring about his purposes, and one of the means is praying, right? I, Sometimes I say, I can get away with it because I'm leaving shortly to go somewhere else. Are you expecting to get anything from the preacher this morning? Did you pray for me on the way? Did you really? Some people don't pray at all for the preacher and then they criticize them afterwards. Well, they have no right to do so. So they're praying. The early church is praying and the Spirit comes in power. And Peter, who has denied Jesus three times, is transformed and preaches the word of God with great boldness, and he really, well, he, he gives it to the, the leaders. He says, you by wicked hands have crucified and slain. But before that, he says, he was delivered according to the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. So these preaching apostles had great convictions, and they didn't worry about theological difficulties. The Lord God planned that we should be saved, and the ones who brought it to pass, Judas, did what God had planned. But he was responsible for what he did. I don't understand that. But it's there, right? God is sovereign, and we are responsible for our actions. And if you're trying to sit there thinking how to put those two together, that's not easy, right? So I have this strong view that I will have to give an account but the things that happen and that God does are in his sovereign plan, which is why I'm here. And why are you here? I could have died when I was less than an hour old. And you're here in the providence of God, and God wants you to hear this. That doesn't mean what I'm about to say is infallible. It's only infallible if it's close to the word of God. So we're going to look at this. So on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches, 3,000 are saved and baptized in one day. You believe God can do it again? Well, if it's God working, yes, he can. Are you ready for it? Well, in the church I attend, we're not ready for it. 
because no, God won't do anything like that today. Oh, well, who says so? God hasn't changed. But are you praying that God will do what he's planned and bring it to pass? And then a little later, the, what wasn't read before the passage, uh, Peter and John on the way to the temple uh, to pray, that's what it says. And there's this lame man. He's been lame since birth, 40 years. And he begs for arms. And there's the children's song, isn't there? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, and we leap in the air. And he went walking and leaping, so when God starts to work, it becomes evident that God is working. And you can't deny it. Unless you changes happen. In his case, it was a lame man made whole. For some people, it's just that their whole lives are transformed. And when he was leaping around, people knowing who he was, seeing the change, they came together to see what had happened. And this is a preaching opportunity. And Peter, who was originally quite uh, scared when they came to arrest Jesus, he ran away with the rest of them. And he, he starts to preach. And he's preaching to a large number. And what he's saying is really offending the Sadducees because he's preaching in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So he gets arrested. Fancy getting arrested for preaching. All right? What would you say if somebody came in and said what you're preaching is not acceptable according to the laws of this land because they've changed? And in many places in the world that can happen. And they're arrested and then they are charged to tell them up by what name or how they've managed to heal this man and they don't hold back. Uh, it's by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by name they mean by his power and all that he is. That being the case. In the end, they decide to uh, put them in prison overnight. See, there's nothing like being in prison overnight for you to think about all the bad things that can happen to you. And you can lie awake at night worrying about it. But you shouldn't worry about it because God is on the throne. Paul and Silas are in prison on one of their missionary journeys, having preached the gospel. And there they are. And when they start the prayer, they don't say to the Lord God, this is a fine mess you've got me into. They just start to praise God that they are where they are because God is working his purposes out. Do you actually think like that? I think like that. I really think like that. And the world changes when you think like that. My father, this is my father's world, and he's on the throne. I mean, it won't all be perfect. I'm not going to get filthy rich and, and live forever. No, things happen and God molds us into the likeness of his son. So they have to give an account and they talk about what the Lord Jesus has done. They say, well, and they're very bold about it, just summarizing what they say before we get to the prayer. They say it is by the name of Jesus that this man stands your whole. This is the same Jesus you crucified. And Peter quotes the scriptures. You should always quote the scriptures. Talks about Jesus being the cornerstone that they rejected. Then he's black and white. Doesn't go on well today. Uh, Jesus is the only way of salvation. Right, you can believe anything, but you're not allowed to say there's only one truth. God the Father only had one son who was perfect, and he alone was able to take away our sins. And therefore, there is only one way. To get right with God, it's through what Jesus did. And if you're not 
trusting in Jesus, you are not right with God. He's telling these Sadducees, they have the power to put them to death. Well, they got rid of Jesus, so surely Peter and John's nothing <coughs> compared to that. And this boldness comes from being with Jesus. These people recognize that they've been with Jesus. And then <coughs> they uh, threaten them and tell them not to preach any more about this. Now, I once a long time ago heard a well-known sermon by a famous Welsh preacher, and I can't help but have some of his points, because if the preacher's really good, you remember the point. The main thing is, when they were let go, what did they do? Well, they panicked. I mean, what are we going to do now? And they rushed into the presence of God. And they would have said, yeah, we're in a fine mess here. No, they didn't. Then they thought, well, what can we do? Did they? To get these Sadducees off our back. But what really upsets them? Well, it's the resurrection. Well, we, we'll just we'll leave that aside for a bit. We've got lots to preach about without mentioning the resurrection. And you modify the gospel so that you don't cause offense. You must never do that. Because it's the gospel of the Lord God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what else do they do? Oh, well, I'm not sure how your church is ordered and who's in authority or whether you have a, a group. Let's form a committee and get them to consider this problem that we have. And they can report back in 12 months' time. And then we can decide what to do. But for the time being, let's go quiet. But they didn't. They didn't at all. They didn't rush into the presence of God either. They remembered who God is. They didn't panic. So God is a loving Father, but he's also the Lord God. And he is to be feared in an awesome way as well. So we meet in the presence of God to whom we must give an account. And that's a serious thing. It's also a joyful thing if you have your sins forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do they address God, they say? Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Which is why creation is important for us because it's a, it gives glory to God when we acknowledge that God created all things. That the people of this world who do not believe in God and do not walk in his ways, the Apostle Paul says they're without excuse because what might be known about God's power and Godhead is clearly seen in what he made. And the more you think about what God made and how immense it is, what's a piffling man going to do to me compared to the God who made everything? Now we tend to think about uh, the stars and everything as to what, yeah, the heavens declare the glory of God. But we are fearfully and wonderfully made. It would be amazing if you could actually look inside, whenever my, my body, your own, and see. Uh, you can have up to a, a hundred trillion cells in your body, and they all work much the same way. And there's little machines going on. And they're reading things right now, in your body. I, I jokingly say, if, if these machines made a noise, you'd never hear anything, right? But it's all going on, because we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and God is to have the glory of that, which is a bit of what... Wednesday night will be about. So they remember that God is creator. They don't panic. 
And uh, they quote Psalm 2, which is very interesting. I'm not sure how you pray here, but if you quote the word of God and remind God of his promises, then you would have some expectation that he might fulfill his, his promises because God keeps his word. He didn't have to promise, but when he promised, it's going to happen beyond any doubt at all. And they quote Psalm 2, and there's uh, this very interesting phrase. In the version I have, it says, who by the mouth of your servant David said. That's what we believe about the scriptures. It's verbally inspired. It came out of the mouths of, uh, of people chosen by God and raised up by God, but it's God's word to us. So this is the word of the God who made everything. And uh, it's very clear uh, what they are quoting there. This is what David says. And they quote David. Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. But truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. So having reminded themselves that God is a creator, the creator God, they now remind themselves that the word of God is true and God planned it. Right? And that causes problems for some people. Should you say, well, I owe my salvation to Judas, because if Judas hadn't betrayed Jesus, there would be no salvation. No, God planned it. So Judas did what God had planned. Well, that lets him off the hook, doesn't it? No, it, Jesus says about him, it were better for him that he had never been born. It were better for him that he had never been born. So there's this thing again. We are responsible. You can't frustrate the purposes of God. You just can't. It's going to happen. And that is really encouraging, particularly when you hit difficult times. So there is this sovereignty of God, even in, with respect to the death of the Lord Jesus. And then they actually get to asking. Like we, I think, I don't know what you're like, but we tend to ask straight away. Something's happened. Oh, Lord, help, whatever. Remember who God is. Remember who he is. And when you therefore remember who God is, who made everything, who is working out his purposes, problems don't appear the same at all. Because even the problem you have, if this is true, is part of the plan of God. And it can be for his glory. You wouldn't know how to begin with, but it can happen. The church we were in had a division and a split. And the short story is, because of that, there weren't many of us left, but we had a building fund. But uh, we were all getting old, so we decided that the time had come that we really should close. And in a providential way, we, we knew about a man in India who was building a church, but had run out of money, as, as it turned out. We sent him $1,000, which was just in time for this man to finish paying for the land. And until he didn't know about us, for him, God provided what he wanted through us. We didn't know the situation. And then when we found out about it, he didn't have the money to build the church. We sent him our building fund and he built a church. Right? The founding elder of the church, the closed door, said, well, God had always wanted us to build a church, but he hadn't told us so far that it was to be in India. That's how it is. Now you've got to think like this. 
And then it was insisted that we went across and opened it. My wife and I, decked in garlands, cutting things, preaching in India with a translator into Telugu. How, how can Telugu have so many longer words? You would say a few words in English, even when you quote the Bible, and it was much longer. And we've continued to be in contact with those people. Now we've got to watch this time. Oh, we're going good. So they ask, and they say, Now, Lord, this is verse 29 of chapter 4, Now, Lord, look on their threats, and grant to your servants that with boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And the results of the, the lame man being healed and Peter preaching after that, the number of uh, men who were in the church rose to 5,000. This is in a short period. And it wasn't long before, well, there were many, many believers in Israel. God will achieve his purposes and no one can stop him. Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we're caught up in that. Hopefully all of us are in the room, but I wouldn't know, all right? And if you're not caught up in the purposes of God, you must worry about tomorrow because you do not know what a day may bring. You don't know this God who's going to work all things together for good if you've been called according to his purpose. And that is, wow, what a place to be in. Doesn't mean things aren't stressful at times. So I thought I'd give you a couple of illustrations uh, which will hopefully stick in your mind. This, this, this is a practical thing. So my wife and I came from the UK uh, to Australia on a visit in 1980 for six months. And during that time, uh, the people at the University of Western Australia, some of them found, knew I was a creationist for whatever reason. And then I got offered a job there. So we came back in December 81. And I was a, I was a professor in a new land. That is scary. I don't even know the language properly. Words that I use mean different things to Australians. This is, yeah. I'd only been there a short time uh, when the engineering faculty at UWA at that time had every other Tuesday no set lectures and it was optional and they invited in all sorts of interesting speakers that weren't engineers. Uh, so they would have social workers and politicians and they did this because the fear was that engineers would become peasants and only know about engineering. That had to broaden their minds. The attendance, however, of the sort of uh, 400 students in engineering at the time, well, if they got 15, they were quite pleased. Because engineers are peasants. No, that's not true. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've not been there long. I think probably the second Tuesday that it was meant to happen, uh, the, the speaker didn't even turn up. And then with a week to go to the next one, that speaker phoned in and said they were very sorry they couldn't make it. And the organizing committee for this set of lectures thought, what can we do? It's going to die. And one of them said, the new professor is a creationist. I'll get him up. There you go. I'm a creationist. Yes, I am. Should I do this? Well, I'm new. I'm, 
I'm not Australian yet. So what do you do in those things? If providence rules, the invitations come from the hand of God. And unless there's a really good reason why you might sin in doing it, I just accept. Sean rings up, can, will you preach? Yes, I will, thank you. <laughs> but then he went on, can I do two talks on a Wednesday? <laughs> I shall go home for a holiday. That's what I mean. So you agreed to do it, and the, the title was, Is Evolution Scientific? Because, well, it's scientific, isn't it? What depends what you mean by scientific, sir. So I was expecting very few, but they actually advertised it throughout the campus, which means that uh, geologists might be there, or microbiologists. So when, when I arrived, this is Engineering Lecture Theatre 1. It seats 157 legally. They were sitting in the arms, and they weren't all engineers, because I'd got to know most of them. This man, he could be the professor of geology and he can ask me a question in jargon that I won't understand and appear stupid. And the lady sitting next to him could be the professor of biology. I'm a dead duck here, Lord God. What am I going to do? <coughs> so I, I do get nervous. I don't shake because I'm used to it. Oh, you're aware. I don't get anxious. You just Something's going to happen. Could even happen here. There you go. So the man who was chairing the meeting Sensing the tension, uh, cracked a joke that didn't work, <laughs> whereupon I rose to speak. And as I rose to speak, boom, I'd not heard a clap of thunder like that. Boom, I don't know where the bolt of lightning went. All the lights went off in the room. No, don't forget, no windows except above me. There was one light shining. What do you say? You say, now you know what, what you're up against. Because the God I worship is on the throne, and he set that for me. And I couldn't wait to go. These, these two giants in the land of Bunyan would have shrunk to, you know, compared to my God. Compared to my God, who was kind and gracious to me. And it just happened again in the providence of God that in the previous two years I'd learned about a theory called punctuated equilibrium, which was relatively new at the time, but no one in the room had. So not only did I come across as this creationist, I was highly informed on the latest theory of evolution. What next? At the end, I jokingly say at the end, when I asked for questions, hardly anybody wanted to ask a question. Lest I went, puff of smoke. <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. So that's one. John did originally want me to give my testimony, but uh, that, that's the closest I would get. And God should have all the glory of that. And then... There's this one. Are we going? Yeah, I'm okay for a bit. There's lots of, if you read biographies and things, they're, they're in them, they're these astounding providential stories. So this is uh, Naomi Reed, who went to Nepal. Yes? Yes. My Seventh Monsoon was the book. I was actually staying with somebody in Canberra, and, and it was on the bookshelf. I would not normally have come across it, and I read it. And then I got to this story. Um, they've been a little while, they're trying to learn the Nepalese language, and it's not easy. And she says this, during one particular week, we had spent every night memorizing John chapter one in our Nepali Bible. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In Nepali it reads, and I'm not gonna try to read it, but it's just got too many vowels, and the words are too long, it's just. 
By the end of the week, we had it in our heads and we had figured out all the necessary vocabulary. She says, I'm not quite sure why we chose John chapter one, but it was in the province of God. I'm not sure why we chose John chapter one, but nevertheless we did and it seemed as good a place to start as any. But you don't know what God's planning. She says, feeling tired at the end of the week, really, her husband as well, that we needed a break over the weekend. On a few other occasions, we had taken a short weekend trek to a village called Mercer. It was just lovely to get out into the hills in Nepal, well, yes, to wander through villages, watch whatever was being harvested in the fields, and gaze upwards at the Himalayas. We had made friends with the headman in Mercer, and he happily welcomed us to sleep above his buffaloes. So they were going that way, they got lost. They were so enthralled with what they were seeing, they got lost. She says, by about 4 p.m. on the Sunday afternoon, Saturday afternoon, it became obvious that we were nowhere near where we thought we were. In fact, we had precious little idea of where we were at all. With dust on the way, we decided we should just stay at the next village we came to. It turned out to be a place called Barabara. Mildly disappointed that we wouldn't be seeing their friendly hedgeman again, we went in search of the hedgeman. And uh, he was very friendly and welcomed them in and gave them some food. And then she says, no sooner had we settled into our roosting place than along came two young lads from the family, hesitantly at first. They began by saying they really wanted to practice their English with us. And that's not often the case in foreign places. And then she says, it was a good day, it was a Good evening, but it soon became clear that these young men had something specific on their minds. They didn't want just an ordinary English conversation. They wanted a specific English conversation. There was a specific document that they had found and couldn't understand it. It was terribly important that they did understand it. We encouraged them to bring it to us so that we could see what it was all about. The younger lad who went off in search of it came back and calmly handed us a small tract we turned it over, it was John chapter 1 in English. Well, the world says they had a lucky day, or they even got a word for it, which is serendipity. But if you're a believer in the Lord God, it's God working his providential purposes. And this young lad said, please tell us what it means. It was the only chapter of the Bible that we could explain in Nepali at that point in time. Out of the 1,189 chapters in the Bible, they had found the only one we could easily chat about. They were desperate to understand it. We were in awe. If God cares about these two souls enough to take us to their village on a specific weekend, he cares about you too. He cares about every single one of us. That is enough for me. Is that your God? Do you grumble when things go wrong because... You don't know what's going to happen there. If you sin, the Lord God might well sort you out because he's promised to do that. Now then, what are you going to do? You've got some talks on evangelism coming up. How are you going to go? Are you going to stand up and give a big talk somewhere and a clap of thunder go off? It's highly unlikely that it'll ever happen to me again. God knows us and the gifts he's given us and what we currently know and he will use you with what you know, because he does. And if you happen to be talking to someone and it's beyond you, you just say, 
Well, I didn't normally say if I ask for questions and I, I get a new one, I, I sort of butter up the person. I said, I've never heard that question before. Right, I've heard lots of questions, thank you very much, and you can go away and find out more. And the need is for people to hear the gospel. So, I find that people are interested in talking about evolution. This book I've been writing, some of my old school friends have been pr proofreading it. One was an antagonistic atheist, another was the man who had been our best man, and so on. And they, they read this book because they're interested in, in hearing whether there is any difficulty with the theory of evolution. These um, AI applications that you can use for writing essays. With my grandson in Perth, we typed in, we would like an essay on the difficulties with the theory of evolution. And it didn't have any. Because it went, well no, it just told us what was good about it. Right? So don't watch out, watch out for that. You know, science says therefore you're wrong. Oh yeah? Come along on Wednesday. This is a trailer now. But the, the, the main thing is, if you don't pray about this evangelism, well, God may, may still use you, but not in the way that happens in the New Testament. And God has not changed. C could you build a bigger church? Well, I'm sure you could. Would you be able to look after the people? Oh, that's a bit more interesting. But 12 disciples, when they appointed the, the replacement, they looked after 3,000 people on the first day, and they taught them systematically. You need to make plans. Are you expecting God to do great things? Right? Are you really? Have you got friends that you've never told the gospel to and you want an opportunity? God gives opportunities. I used to be at the University of Bristol in the UK. And I was waiting for opportunities. On this one winter's day, we'd gone down to the basement where the heat exchanges were and we're having morning tea, but it, it wasn't working, it was cold. <coughs> and somebody said, we need an electric fire. So somebody ran off to get one and came back with an electric fire and the cable was all frayed, it wouldn't be allowed today. And some, one of the new postgraduate students said, where did you find that? It must have come out of the ark. Well, thank you, Lord, you know. I just said, they didn't have electricity in those days. <coughs> and whereupon, the room divided in two. The half who heard me already and the other half, off you go. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform, they say. Well, yes, that, that's what this is. Blind unbelief is sure to err, and judges works in vain. Behind a, smile, behind a frowning providence, God hides a smiling face. Get out there, ask God, praying, to use you for his glory in the salvation of sinners. May he give you the gifts that you will need for the people you meet. May you encourage one another. May you hear testimonies of this kind. And we will then say, oh, God is a great God. And there is no one like him. And by his grace, we've been caught up in his purposes. And he has been the greatest honor. And we wish to live for his glory all the days of our life. May that be true of you all. And if you don't know this God, please come and talk to one of the leaders here or even to me. And we'll be happy to explain a bit more fully how you get right with God. But thanks for the invitation, Sean. <laughs>